Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. It's never an easy call with so many problems in the world to know where to direct the money that you donate when you want to help out in this world. But what I can tell you is that when you donate to CAMH, you're saving lives. We know about the opioid crisis. We know about the mental health crisis. They are doing the work. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help us treat addiction and build hope. This episode of Shortcuts is brought to you by Hi Mama. I remember how hard it can be to leave your kids at daycare for the first time, hard for the parents mostly, and it is frustrating uh, to be sorting through paper messages, those little notes you get about how your kid is doing. The team at Hi Mama, a Canadian app, has the solution. They make it simple for daycares to send private updates in real time about how your kid is doing. This app is free for parents. Find out how to invite your daycare at highmama.com slash CanadaLand. And this episode is brought to you by the motion picture Ladybird. Ladybird has a 100% fresh rank on Rotten Tomatoes. The New York Times calls it perfect and flat out wonderful. See the funny and heartwarming film that critics and audiences are falling in love with. I saw this film and and it is heartwarming and it is just a really pleasant, wonderful movie. Written and directed by Greta Gerwig, it is now playing in Toronto, Vancouver, Victoria, Calgary, Edmonton, Winnipeg, and Halifax, and opening everywhere else on Friday, November 24th. Alex Verman. Hello. Writer for Mike, uh, for The Establishment, for CBC News, for Canada Land, for The Torontoist. Uh, welcome to Canada Land Shortcuts. Happy to be here. God damn it, Alex. We're going to talk about Jordan Peterson today. I don't know her. On other matters related to Steve Pakin, we are also going to talk about whether or not we should still be debating the white man's burden on public television. Okay. Finally, we will be talking about if... When and under what circumstances it is okay to print the real name and home address of a sex worker in the newspaper. Good to have you on the show. Happy to be here. This is exciting. This episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to you by Wayne Adams, Francis Miller, Andy Boudet, Marie, Rachel Disboro, Hanel, 
Tom Carolyn Brooks, and William McKinnon. My name is William McKinnon. I am a sociology student at the University of Guelph, and I support Candleland because I think it's refreshing to take a break from uh, reading and listening to sensational American news coverage. And I also think it's awesome to have an independent media outlet that's going to question narratives and decisions that would uh, otherwise go unchallenged in Canadian media. Also, Alex, this episode is brought to you by Giftagram, the Canadian company that makes it easy to be thoughtful. You are obviously thinking about nothing but the gift-giving season. Of course. I got eight nights of gifts that I just have to give to everyone that I've ever met. This is absolutely right. Uh, Hanukkah comes early uh, this year, or at least earlier than when it was totally overlapping on Christmas. So Giftagram makes it easy to give a gift in like three clicks. You just download the Giftagram app, iTunes or Google Play. You choose a gift. They've curated the gifts. Uh, They've tested the gifts. They're at every price point. Gadgets, cameras, cupcakes, spa treatments, the Canada Land book. It's all on Giftagram. It's all tested. And then you just choose who you want to send it to. You just like choose their email address. You don't have to put in their home address, their shipping address. Maybe they don't want it delivered to their home. Maybe they want it delivered to their office. That's up to them. They typically send these gifts in three to five days. When I use this, the gift came the next day. Uh, you can send a gift to anyone, anywhere in Canada or the United States. And here's the part you're going to want to listen closely to. Like If you're going to give any gifts, you should listen to this because Giftagram is basically giving you 20 bucks. $20 off of your first gift purchase. They have to you're probably going to be buying anyhow. You can get it for 20 bucks less if you go download the app from Apple App Store or Google Play and use the promo code CANADALAND to get 20 bucks off your first gift from Giftagram. Okay, Alex, I'm going to try to set up this Wilfred Laurier uh, surreptitious recording with some context, and it's a I hard. Look forward to it. It is a hard thing to nutshell. Okay, so this is a communications class where a teaching assistant by the name of Lindsay Shepard played a clip from an episode of Steve Pakin's The Agenda TVO show, in which Jordan Peterson is debating and arguing as to why he refuses to use the requested pronouns of hypothetical trans students. You mean he refuses to use people's pronouns? Yes. And what she played for her class, his his argument essentially, as I understand it, is that words like Z and Zay are made up language that he is being forced to- As opposed to all other words. (laughs) As opposed to all other words, which are like mathematically true words. <laughs> which we found in the earth. These are made up words. And he's and it's an encroachment on his freedom of speech that he's being forced somehow because he believes that this bill, C-16, is going to force him to use this language uh, under kind of, I guess, criminal consequences. And he is refusing, not just on a freedom of speech basis, but because he believes this is part of a larger plot by politically correct neo-Marxist social justice warriors. I don't think I'm exaggerating. I think this is actually... No, these are his words. This is what he thinks. Because language is power and power and language is political. This is is a structured campaign that is actually an attack on Western civilization itself. All right, I can get behind it. Okay. Now, in Lindsay Shepard's capacity as a teaching assistant whose job is to get her students excited about things like communication and why language actually matters and why this is not just some technical point about grammar, but this is actually a, a, a gripping subject that people should be excited to study. Uh, that is the context that I understand, though we don't know because we don't have a full tape of that. That is my understanding of why she played some Jordan Peterson on the agenda to her class 
an act which resulted in one or more students complaining that they had been harmed by this, which resulted in her being called in, in front of an ad hoc tribunal of her academic superiors, which she secretly taped, secretly in that they didn't know she was taping it. And one of those academic superiors, who her supervising professor, is Nathan Rambukana, and that is the voice that you will hear now. These arguments are counter to the Canadian um, Human Rights Code uh, ever since, and I know that you talked about um, C-16, ever since this past, it is discriminatory to be targeting someone due to their gender identity or gender expression. So I understand the position that you're coming from and your positionality, but the reality is that it has created a, a, a toxic climate. This is something that's being debated in current society, and I don't feel the need to shield people from what's going on in society. Like, okay. to, to imagine that this is happening in university, it's just bad. Okay, bad. so this is basically like playing, not to kind of do the thing where everything is kind of compared to, to, to Hitler, but this is like neutrally playing uh, a speech by, by Hitler or, or Milo Yiannopoulos from Gamergate. Uh. Oh my god, this whole story is so stupid. Every every element is stupid, and I hate it for so many reasons. Well, I, okay, like, let's first just talk about that clip, and, and that's a clip of a much longer recording. I sat through as much of it as I could, and I was enraged. I was absolutely appalled that, uh, I mean, just like on a basic level of just the, the like power acting badly, you know, and, and in this context, that's a lot of power. She's before three people who have a lot of power over her, and they're just kind of hitting her over the head, like refusing with to With nonsense terms, with honestly. Nonsense I terms. mean, there's a lot to be said for sort of like certain things shouldn't be up for debate. I think that this particular instance is like a bad one to make that point. Like the Peterson clip, I don't care for the guy. I disagree with his points of view. But I think sort of restricting the ways in which students can talk about things in class is like not the best way to go but more than anything i think this is like an example of how ill-prepared so many universities are in canada to just deal with basic things that come up like on a governance level i think this is actually like a broader trend and what's pissing me off about this story is that all the media focus is on like thought police and like these orwellian metaphors yeah instead of actually looking at this in context like if we think about this incident and step one bit like a couple months or weeks backwards um there's that incident in at dalhousie then, yeah. then just before that there's this whole beginning of the peterson debacle and then before that uh was it andrew potter was uh kicked off at mcgill to me together this just looks like the administration of universities um, have no actual plan to deal with things as they come up. Like when it comes to complaints from students or wider society, they're just reacting to what they think is the best thing according to wherever they perceive public opinion to be at the time. And that's like, I would wish people would talk about the fact that like university administrations like don't know what they're doing and that's a larger issue. Yes, okay. Let's start there. It's a great place to start because this is getting defined as like, oh, here it is. It's the smoking gun evidence of the of the social justice warrior leftist campus thought police in action. Mm -hmm. And it sort of fulfills all of the Jordan Peterson prophecies of what I mean, it ridiculously so. I mean, I'm glad it's like, like, it's like perfect for them, really. So here it is evidence that, that campuses are just radically and prohibitively and like um, censoriously left. Bullshit. This campus is not liberal enough. If they were liberal, they'd let her play the goddamn tape and, and, and that. that 
that'd be fine, okay? But you bring up these other cases, and they reveal something. So we had Dalhousie and, and Masuma Khan, the student who uh, wrote about white fragility can kiss my ass. And then because I think of right-leaning students saying, oh, this is racism, this is anti-white racism, how did the university respond as soon as people brought a complaint to the university? They started investigating Masuma Khan. Then there was a national outcry, what the hell are you doing? She was just exerting freedom of speech, and they apologized and they withdrew the investigation. And then before that, uh, UBC and John Furlong, John Furlong accused of dozens of indigenous people of abusing them when they were children, and, and he was their phys ed teacher, okay? So UBC invites him to come and be their celebrated keynote speaker, mm. and students complain about that as an insult yeah. to indigenous people immediately the university goes oh okay he's canceled yeah then the donors complained right ubc's donors complained why are you canceling john furlong he's a canadian hero and he's our buddy and they reinstated him and apologized yeah. to john furlong it's like there's no forethought put into these things and then there's a complaint and then people respond to it and that happens like all over the place yeah. ideologically it's like, not left or right it's, it's not left or right it's, it's, it's just it's, it's just <laughs> bad management they don't want protests you know they don't want protests mm-hmm. on either side so people are, are constantly gaming them and saying like okay well let's have a a so-called free speech um, assembly yeah. here where we'll just load it with rebel people and then if they have a problem with that because it's going to cause a shit show then we'll call them a lefty campus and then yeah. you know and anybody can kind of twist mm-hmm. them any which way I mean you start off by saying that this is just so stupid and I, it's I stupid. the whole thing is about not Thing. And that's why I've avoided the whole Jordan Peterson thing from the start is like, I just find him like an, an incredibly boring thinker. I think he loves this. Um, oh, yeah, 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 <laughs> it's yeah. great for him. It's great for the rebel. They already started up. A, they already got a domain name for it. Oh, I'm not suggesting otherwise. Uh, <laughs> this is the best thing that could have ever but happened. But also, like, it's the only thing that will prove his point. Like, there's nothing else to prove it besides like, va- I mean, like when like, when that professor Nathan Rambukana, who we heard there, who was just saying you, you've turned this into a toxic culture. This is like playing a Hitler speech. You've uh, that's a bad metaphor, but <laughs> terrible. I mean, as an tra- actual I, non-binary person a, who was an, Jewish, like <laughs> if we're gonna play the game, yeah. It's so, but it's but then he says you've broken C sixteen, and everybody has been saying to Jordan Peterson from the start, dude, you're misreading C sixteen. It's yeah. not gonna make it illegal. You can still say whatever pronoun you goddamn want, you idiot. Yeah. And then here is this left-leaning professor saying, actually, in just playing Jordan Peterson at all, you have broken C-16. He, in fact, his misread of C-16 is so specific. I'm like, did you get that from Jordan Peterson it himself? Feels, it feels fake almost. Like, I'm not going to like make that claim like it's as a, a real claim, like, but it feels it feels fake just because it's so perfect. And I think it's like that's almost symbolic of how like ideologically nonsensical like this whole arguments become to him it is symbolic and he's playing his cards right because the general public opinion has gone in favor of sort of mainstream let's say gay rights but when it comes to transgender people there's a big population of people that let's say cisgender people don't understand and kind of don't want to and it disrupts a lot of things that are sort of given assumptions and it's an easy issue to poke at and, and to poach on and, and it's convenient clickbait, whether you're pro or against. The thing is that when cisgender audiences in, engage in this kind of discussion, when it's happening at the expense of transgender people, and one of the, the negative side effects of this whole thing is that it's continually refocused the debate on pronouns when there are actual pressing issues facing transgender people no matter their pronouns, across this country and beyond that are totally cut out of the, of the conversation. Yes. I think that like it's really interesting what's happening. And somebody pointed out this has unified the media in like lockstep with Peterson's basic claims mm-hmm. where you, you now have editorials in The Sun and The Star and me decrying 
what happened in that yeah. room. But th- what happened in that room was between four people. The way that this is getting interpreted is that this is the smoking gun evidence that yeah. something wider is happening. I don't think that that's true. I don't think that this is evidence that this pronoun thing mm-hmm. is becoming like people are being uh, dictated what they mm-hmm. can and can't say in the in this didactic mm-hmm. way. And it's all getting hung, if I hear you properly, it's all getting hung on uh, at the expense of trans people yeah. who, are, who are becoming kind of like this sort of sacrificial lamb and, and you know, and, and, and who don't necessarily like having foisted upon them this pronoun debate as yeah. this defining. And what's so frustrating about that being the tone that all the coverage has taken is that it's sort of left the attention off of the main issues. Like we're going back to that initial um, debate that was on the agenda. First of all, from just like an organizational perspective, why would you have on a panel people who fundamentally disagree about like basic principles? Like that's just not a way to have a discussion that will actually convey information for anyone. But beyond that, if you have like a, like a transgender person on air or on screen wanting to talk about something, and then repeatedly the topic is brought back to pronouns, then we've lost the opportunity to inform the public about important things. Like, for example, in Toronto, something like 23 to 25% of homeless people are LGBT, and a large portion of them are queer and trans youth. There's this really iconic scene um, of King up with the Kardashians. Um, Kim loses her diamond earrings in the water, and she comes out of the water, and she's crying about her earrings. And then uh, the camera zooms in on Kourtney Kardashian. She says, Kim, there's people that are dying. That's how it feels like like watching this, because like if you have the province of Ontario, this publicly funded platform to actually talk about things that matter to trans people, and we have cisgender people continually putting the conversation back to pronouns. We can't talk about things that require a genuine policy response and that the public deserves to know about. Like. The public deserves and needs to know about the fact that a quarter of the people that they see and walk by every day who are in situations of dire poverty are queer and trans people. I mean, we're just talking like the, the debate is just different camps talking past each other entirely. Like the, the issues that you are bringing up have nothing to do with like, I don't know, protecting the sanctity of grammar. Yeah. Which is a false smokescreen anyhow to cover that what Peterson is actually about is not so much that he cares so much about grammar as much as he sees that as the beachhead on a larger campaign that is basically trying mm-hmm. to take down Western civilization, mm-hmm. which... I have to talk about now on a media show because he has an army. I mean, he's becoming yeah. and, and, you know, he's leveling up each time people take the bait. <laughs> I kind of want to see the, the underlying academic debate because I think he's a lazy thinker who draws sweeping yeah. generalizations and believes that there is this SJW politically correct Marxist conspiracy, which I think is a paranoid I mean, it's just delusion. Me. Yeah, it's, it's Alex Verma. <laughs> it's literally just me. Like, I, 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 I feel like, OK, we, we can have diametrically opposed opinions having a debate if we can actually define our terms. And I watched that agenda episode and it's like what are you guys talking about like what is this is this about pronouns and then the allegations come back well you're a transphobic and he can very easily say like i have nothing against mm-hmm. trans what are you talking about and it sucks because then we're stuck being like you're a transphobic because we have to engage it's tiring to have to engage with first principles over and over and over when like you're on a show you want to talk about stuff that matters yeah and I mean, I, he just this sort of grim, dour figure who plays the academic and, and is wild, way out of his lane as a psychologist. And, yeah. you know, I've, I've read some very thorough, I don't know, I've gotten so many emails, have him on the show. I don't want to have this Why we have him on the show. Guy on he's the not show. interesting. <laughs> that's the and reason. And he's ugly, and that's worse. Let's talk about another episode of The Agenda. Oh, please. Some months ago, a University of Toronto professor specializing in Indigenous health was a guest on this program. In the midst of one of her answers, she said something off-topic but quite provocative, that the government of Canada was essentially keeping Indigenous people in crisis 
in order to get unfettered access to their riches of their land. We instantly thought that would make for a fascinating debate. And so we'll have it now. All right. So uh, such an opportunity. That's a, no, that's a great debate. That's it is an no, that's sorry. Great. Let's cut out me saying that. No, <laughs> we're going to leave that Wait. in. Oh God! That's how we mine content, right? You, you do look for. He is an opportunist, and I'm an opportunist too. In that we're looking for good debates, and I mean, and, and somebody uh, <laughs> we cut said, that out. <laughs> absolutely not. Oh, um, I, I think that that's an absolutely valid debate to have. Is like that's 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 a really provocative um, take. You know, it's a hot take. It's a hot take, and it's one that you can actually argue uh, very persuasively. And there there are some valid voices out there who would feel otherwise. So I have no problem. That's exactly what we. Like, I'm you know in this world of Kardashians and whatnot. God bless that Steve Pakin is having debates like that. On and on every night on TVO. I'm, I'm happy that some of my tax dollars uh, fund that. Yeah, God bless. However, in staging this as a debate, Steve Pakin assembled two indigenous guests, Suzanne Stewart, an academic, and a former chief, Linda DeBassigay, uh, who are arguing that, yes, the government of Canada keeps indigenous people in a state of crisis so that they can exploit their resources. That's a debate that we are not staging right now, Alex. If oh, we, good. If we were staging that debate, I would make sure there was somebody uh, who was indigenous here. But the other two people arguing con against that idea were Tom Flanagan and Francis Woodison. And I think that the relevant context for Tom Flanagan and Francis Woodison Besides uh, just random white people names. Besides just being... <laughs> Jeez. Um, <laughs> you know, central casting white people names. We're not, we're not going to ding them for that. Um, Can we? <laughs> if you must. Just really quick. I think the more relevant context is that Tom Flanagan uh, believes that colonialism was inevitable and justifiable. All right. Uh, and has argued in his works that European civilization was several thousand years more advanced than the Aboriginal cultures of North America, both in technology and social organization, and then expands from that idea of... of, of uh, thousand years more progress to say that that actually justifies what happened is my understanding of Tom Flanagan's Which even position. if that position were true, which it isn't, that's basically the same as arguing that like a sixth grader is justified in beating up a third grader because they're older and no more stuff. Yeah, like, that's I mean, not... <laughs> it is a foundational like principle of our society that by, by virtue of the technological, supposed technological supremacy, then, you know, it's might makes right is basically the whole uh -huh. philosophy. And then Francis... Which is wrong, but also like morally bad. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, well, well, we'll talk. I mean, like, it's okay. Like, I, I kind of would like have an argument with an uncle who thought that and it might be like aggravating for everybody else. But I like doing those sorts of things. But like that's it's generally we're, I want to get into this because that it's generally something that we've dispensed with as a legitimate thing to have on a civil Discussion. Francis Woodison also is sort of a modern manifestation of a, a very old bad idea, which is that the best thing for indigenous people is for them to not be indigenous anymore, is that they are um, disproportionately drunk and unemployed on their reserves. We should abolish the reserve system. We should assimilate indigenous people. Now, there are people listening who think like, well, those are good. Ideas. I'm not even going to engage with those ideas as good or bad ideas as much to say as like they are bad, though. But yeah. Oh, yeah. They're really <laughs> bad ideas. Um, I do want to engage just that little bit. Well, <laughs> well, yeah. The only reason why I'm, I'm not bit. like it's not like I'm uh, hesitant to pass judgment on those bad ideas. But like there's a thing that happens that I, that I want to kind of like focus on, which is when an idea is beyond bad, like Holocaust denial is a bad idea. We could, if we had the time, sit here and, and like disprove Holocaust deniers, but we've actually so thoroughly fucking disproven that, that we, we have it in this other category of like, don't even go there. Like, we're not going to provide space for Holocaust denial. But Canada does. But anyway. 
<laughs> it actually does. But I don't know how, well, <laughs> how much more we want to provide. It was in what way? Because, like, like, in that it's like, legal to be a Holocaust denier? I mean, or? there's a lot of things that are actual Holocaust. I mean, there was a National Post story relatively recently that covered a memorial in Winnipeg for uh, Ukrainian soldiers during World War II that were active participants in massacres of Jews. And the National Post coverage focused purely on how Russians were saying, this is a memorial towards some Nazis, guys, um, and neglected to mention the fact that actually some of them were Nazis, or at least were very closely aligned with Nazis. I would say that's a degree of Holocaust denial. The fact that we're participating in that kind of thing. And even this this new rhetoric of... Um, uh, uh, neo-Marxist, post-modernist, whatever, is like literally the same as like the the neo-Bolshevik or post, I forget what the language is, that was part of Nazi propaganda. Okay, but you get my point. And I think I, I agree with what you're saying to the extent that it is possible. There is this thing called acceptable public discourse, which is a separate concept from what is legally permissible to say. I mean, if you ask me, like, I think people should be able to say whatever fucking idiot thing they want, short of some certain death threats and screaming fire in a, in a theater. But I'm totally for ostracizing people when they step outside of like, like there are certain concepts. Like if you want to argue like pro-eugenics, pro-slavery, Holocaust denial, we do not feel like, oh, well, are both sides represented? And mm. let, let, let's have those people on. Let's hear them out. And if and those ideas should fall on their own merit. I think there's an interesting thing. I think what all of this stuff is about, the Peterson stuff too, is about who gets to set that frame of what lies within and without acceptable public discourse. It's really interesting to me that right now, it's not even ideas, it's even terminology. I will never under any circumstance at this point in history use the N-word, right? Ten years ago, singing along to a song in my car, I might have sung it to myself, right? Or in referencing something that somebody else said, I, I might mean, have said it. But man. now I won't. Because it's, it's, it's been moved into a category, right? There are other words that are still kind of okay. Like if I was referencing somebody using an epithet, I might use that epithet in a way that I wouldn't use the N-word, right? So it's a very political thing. Who I gets to determine is... what is an outside, what's inside that window and what's outside that window? And what we're seeing play out right now, and what, we, what I saw happening on Twitter with Robert Jago and Chelsea Val was basically saying to the agenda, like they're trying to assert Canada has rejected these ideas. Canada has apologized for cultural genocide. The extension of manifest destiny and the white man's burden that Widdowson and Flanagan represent are ideas that are on a governmental level we have apologized for and moved on from. Why are they still on your show? I want to push back at this take a little bit just because like while it's sort of it's not acceptable in public society for people who are not black to say the n-word, people do it all the time and people still publish horribly racist things in widely read national columns in Canada, it's not as though these things are cut entirely out of public debate. Right, but you'll think, lose your job. I don't you know. You won't be on television. I don't know. I mean, I understand that the questions that we're really asking are who gets to decide and why is it so consistent that Indigenous people are kind of cut out of that to the point that they're still continually receiving shitty treatment from media at all sides. I think that's an important point, but I think that we can make that without comparing it to maybe unnuanced looks at how racism actually, and overt racism, is actually still alive and well in other ways just because we can't say the N-word and get away with it. I'm doing air quotes, but you can't see it. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that that's the thing, though, is that if the goal is for people to not be racist, and that's a wonderful goal, it's an impossible one, right? What you can do on a social level is set best practices, set standards, set societal norms, 
You know, you can say, look, I don't care if in your heart, I mean, I care, but I know that I'm not going to get everybody to, in their heart, cease being racist. But we can damn well make sure that if you go out there and launch racial epithets against Jews and, and deny, deny that the Holocaust ever happened, you can't be a teacher and you can't come on TV and talk about pretty much anything. We've kicked you off the boat. You know, I don't know if we need to lock you up, but you're offside. You know, you're in the flat earth society. You're just not where the conversation's at. And it's interesting and a powerful moment for me to see like Robert Jago, like, like he's explicitly arguing this. He's saying whatever hate or intolerance we quietly accept, that's what we guarantee we will face. And that's why he's coming at Steve Pakin and others are saying like, mm. we, we're going to like guard this line that Flanagan and Widowson, anybody who, who has represented these ideas that have been roundly rejected and, P- and Pakin's response is like, well, show me where on the episode they say those things. And in the same way that you wouldn't have a Holocaust denier come on and talk about something else, in that same way, these people have proven themselves unworthy of our attention and your forum. And, uh, you know, Pakin... Barbara Emile kept putting out columns, no matter how many racist things she says. Um, yeah, Sue Conrad Levy, Black. He's, he's publishing things at Conrad Black. Conrad Black and Barbara Emile are interchangeable in my mind. But, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, it's, we're talking, there are actually people who say horribly racist things about a lot of different groups, and they do it with a platform. And... I think that um, as important as it is to look at this moment as being like, yeah, certain stuff we should actually push back on. I think it's also important to recognize, especially as like two white people sitting in a room, um, that we have the benefit of not having to look super critically at the ways in which racism has to be super overt for it to feel present and aggressive in media. So I think I think it's true. Like, yeah, we're saying this is a line and we should draw it. But I also think that like in times in the past where we have drawn lines like for other groups um, and which overlap with indigenous communities, I think that um, people have stepped over those lines and not faced severe consequences for it. This is the process we're in. I mean, like the post, I think, uh, you know, generally speaking, is very touchy about anti-Semitism. The National Post is very, very touchy about anti-Semitism. I mean, so am I. And, and it routinely publishes. Uh, racist shit about indigenous people and Muslims, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, so there are politics behind what groups you can go mm-hmm. after and what groups you can't. And it's interesting. You know, I, I think that Steve Pakin is offside here. The way he responded when he was called out for this is he, he said to uh, certain critics, I'm sure you think so little of the two indigenous guests. Oof. You know, you think they were unable to argue their side of the question? Did you actually watch the show? So this is the kind of thing that I don't think he's operating uh, coming. He was trying to stage a good debate. And this process by which people are kind of pointing out to him what lines he stepped over and who he gave a platform mm-hmm. to, this is the process by which mm-hmm. that window of acceptable public debate is is mm-hmm. is determined. And it's just going to be a question of like whether or not we yeah. listen and whether or not like that, that power yeah. is is trying to be seized. And that's how you get power. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool, doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer. And it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. 
This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. We hear a lot about the opioid crisis. We talk a lot about the mental health crisis. These are serious problems. These problems affect us all. They've affected my life and my community. They're not intractable problems. I don't know what's going to solve them on a policy level, but day-to-day helping people, that's what CAMH does. They do it on the ground when people need help, and they do it through research. The team at CAMH gave our team a tour of their facilities, and we were really just blown away by the incredible heroic work that they're doing every day. They treat everyone with dignity, and their research is seeking and finding real solutions for everyone around the world. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. Okay, Alex, let us now talk about our second sponsor, Away Suitcases. Away offers high-quality luggage that is designed to be resilient, resourceful, and essential to the way you travel. Away bags and accessories are great gifts. They have a lifetime guarantee. There is a 100-day trial, so there is a perfect size and color for everyone on your list this holiday season. Or you can grab an Away gift card. If you can't make up your mind, let somebody choose their own color. These suitcases are available in a variety of colors and sizes. They have a TSA-approved combination lock. They have four 360-degree spinner wheels, okay? And I actually have one of these suitcases, and the wheels, my old suitcase didn't have that. And it makes a huge difference as you're moving around an airport, the ability to kind of like have the thing move in all directions, push it in front of you. It's a very good suitcase. It's a lot of power. You can try out your way for 100 days you can travel with it. You can Instagram it. I don't know. If you want to, you can Instagram it. And if you decide it's not I'll for Instagram you, it. damn it, put it on your Instagram. I'll Instagram it. You can return it for a full refund if you don't like it. And uh, lifetime warranty. If anything breaks, they will fix it. You got nothing to lose. You will get $20 off of an Away suitcase if you visit awaytravel.com slash CanadaLand and use the promo code CanadaLand during checkout. Again, that is awaytravel.com slash CanadaLand, promo code Canada land. Let's duly note a couple of things. I love duly noting things. What do you have, Alex? I have uh, a recent BuzzFeed article by uh, Stephen Joe that was called um, Zionist Groups in Canada are Jumping on the Creeping Sharia Bandwagon. I love this article. I think a lot of it's very good. Um, this is It's an unreported issue. I am made no secret of the fact that I think the connections between uh, far-right Zionist groups and open Islamophobia are really scary and very bad um, for everyone kind of connected with it. I think it's bad for Canada. I think it's bad for Jewish people. I think it's especially bad for Muslims. I really like the article. One thing I didn't like is that the initial um, version of the article, like they had a banner photo where like there was a cartoon of someone, I guess, worried about creeping Sharia. Um, and it was like clearly a caricature of a Hasidic Jew. And that's just like, that just skeeved me out. It's just not really accurate. Like of all the organizations that were listed in the article, only one of them is explicitly religious and it's not Hasidic. And meanwhile, uh, Hasidic communities in Canada are subject to a lot of discrimination because they're visibly recognized as Jewish. So they get the brunt of a lot of anti-Semitism. <laughs> you sent us the original uh, illustration that ran with this piece and then the adapted one. And like, I, I just am thinking of some poor illustrator who was told, you need to somehow quickly represent- <laughs> Make a Jewy. <laughs> it's a Jew who's afraid of Muslims. Yeah. And, and it was like this close up on a face 
and you could see the, a hint of a strimal, the black hat that yeah. Hustlers wear, and then the payas. That's just strimal's the fur hat. The black hat doesn't have. Oh, a the name. black hat is not a strimal. Pardon me. And then the payas, the uh, the what are you? Yeah, the, the, the little the forelocks. The yeah. The, the yeah. Okay, the curly. Uh, I don't know how to describe this better, but yeah. And there's just this like teeny hint of payas and hat, and then in the eye is like the Muslim. Uh, some the like symbol. The, yeah, the the star and crescent. Yeah, and it's like some poor illustrator's like, I got it. Here it is. All right, here it's it is. Jew. This is the Jew. This is how you read Jew, and and that reads Muslim, and fear is like there's like sweat and a look of fear. I, I get uh, it. I don't like it. <laughs> oh, no. It was terribly on the nose and, and literal. Like, and <laughs> yeah. I don't even know if it's like this is like a big problem for Hasids as much as like... I don't think they're reading it. I don't think, I don't yeah, think they're really upset. I, it was a problem for, I don't know. For, it just made me feel weird, and I just think it's not accurate. Duly noted. Yeah. I'd like to duly note my own bad tweet. A bad All right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, can't relate, but ever have a tweet so bad it can make it through the day? <laughs> um, you know, I had a bad tweet, and I, wa- I want to make it right. Um, and I think it was, I am right, even though I was re- really wrong. I was technically wrong, ah. but I'm generally right. So, <laughs> here was the tweet. Seems like every day another man is exposed in the press for sexual misconduct, but not by Canada's press. Nobody has really been called out here since Gameshi. To which... Many, many people pointed out Don Meredith, Darshan Kang, Eric Savai, Gilbert Rozon, Giovanni Apollo, and many, many more men who have been called out since Gameshi. Yep. <laughs> now, here on my, in the safety of my podcast, where only those who care it's a to safe listen. Space. This is a safe space. You've listened to 20 minutes. No, I'll, 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 you know, point to this on Twitter as well. Essentially, what I'm trying to say and what I think is true, and if I could have had a moment to edit that tweet, is that, uh, Instead of saying not by Canada's press, I might have said not by English Canada's press. And instead of saying nobody has really been called out here since Kameshi, I should have said nobody has really been called out here since Weinstein. And I think that that would probably get me like, I don't know, maybe there's a couple exceptions to that. But what I'm essentially trying to say is that since Weinstein, every day there are investigations in the press. Mm -hmm. I'm not talking about people coming forward because I know that the Me Too thing has hit Canada in a big way and people are exposing people in every discipline. That is happening here. What we haven't seen happen in Canada is the press taking these accusations, or at least it hasn't resulted in anything that's been published, and doing the work that Jody Cantor and others are doing in the States and saying, okay, we received one accusation about this one powerful guy. We've gone and investigated. We found three more people. They want to remain anonymous. We've checked out as much as we can as to whether uh, their claims are credible. Uh, we have an open call for more people. We're hoping to get somebody on the record. It's hard and difficult work of journalism meeting accusers and providing them uh, a way of getting their voices heard sometimes anonymously, but also giving the public uh, some sort of a vetting process so that these accusations have gone through some some journalistic rigor uh, before you call somebody out in the press. That is happening every day in the United States. Mm-hmm. And I have not seen our big news organizations. And somebody pointed out, you know, uh, Vicky Machama pointed out quite rightly, well, isn't that your job, Jesse, to, to do that? And that's the tea on that. <laughs> Uh, it, and I think it, it is absolutely part of my job, and I can tell you that we are we're doing that, and just haven't gotten to the point of publishing uh, with at least a couple of cases right now. But it is a conspicuous absence that this is something that is in the pages of the American press again and again and again. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I have noticed since convention because we have seen people called out, we have seen people exposed, usually because of the bravery of accusers. What I haven't seen on mass, and speaking, and and this completely excluding French Canada, where the press has been doing this, mm-hmm. and which I I think delivered an insult to and in forgetting about that. And I even talked about it on the show before, but I forgot about it when I tweeted. We haven't seen our news organizations put a lot of muscle into this. I think, though, that there has been 
some impressive coverage, maybe not within the general like Me Too kind of line that's like still about this subject. And we've had people, I don't know why I said we, <laughs> but there have been people on the show who have discussed their work sort of on the subject. It's just, I think there's a lot of factors maybe for why the Canadian media isn't like particularly picking up on this kind of theme. I'm not going to speculate too much about them now, but I think it has a lot to do with size, um, the prominence of our prominent figures compared to the prominence of prominent figures in the U.S., um, the kind of funding that journalists get and the amount of work that people are able to put into stories. I think there's a lot of stuff going into it. But yeah, I'll definitely duly note that. <laughs> no, no, you're, 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 you've hit on some of the main reasons. You know, in certain cases, somebody will call somebody out, and it's just like, well, is that guy a big enough figure for us to expose? Nobody knows who that is. And, yeah, you know, it's also like editors picking and choosing stories. There's that. There's also the element of, and I had actually a source say that to me the other day when, when we were talking about an accusation she had, and she said, "Well, am I going to be forced onto the stand like those uh, Gameshi accusers? Yeah. The damage that that trial did on this whole process of people coming forward, I think we still don't know the, the extent of it. But I do also think it's a, it's a re- Resource question, but I think it's also a journalistic courage question. Mm. You know, so I'm 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 putting myself out there, and, and like you, you can hold me accountable that we're gonna we're we're, we're putting our resources into this uh, into the stories that come our way as best we can, um, and maybe we'll see some of these stories because I know that there are some that are being investigated elsewhere. I'm just wondering if they'll actually be printed. Duly noted. Alex, can I tell you a little story? Please. This is a story about a protester slash sex worker slash uh, pornographic performer. Okay. That could be like three people I know. This is one person uh, who performs under the name Jane Way, who was arrested at an anti-fascist protest in Peterborough when somebody with a swastika t-shirt got uh, beat up on by the crowd and there was a kerfuffle and who knows who did what. But uh, Jane Way was arrested and photographed by the Peterborough Examiner and identified themselves as Jane Way when the reporter spoke to them. Later, the Peterborough Examiner got from the cops, here's who we're laying charges against. And it was a different name that popped up. And the Peterborough Examiner has a very (laughs) strange policy when they are, you know, reporting on criminal charges. The press routinely will say this person was charged with this crime. I think the Peterborough Examiner is alone in doing this thing where if I were accused of a crime, they would say... Jesse Brown of and then give my street. That's so weird. It's really weird. That's so weird, especially considering like a lot of crimes are like not worth that. The reason that they do this is they say, well, what if there are two Jesse Browns? We don't want this to be, uh, you know, something that ruins the life of that. I other also Jesse don't Brown. own a phone, so I can't look this up possibly. But it's that's a crazy <laughs> policy because it assumes that you would know like, oh, that's not Jesse Brown, the podcast guy, because we all know where he lives. No, people don't know what street I live on because newspapers don't routinely publish that except for the people. Because that's examiner. buck wild. Right. It is particularly <laughs> wild. That's a nonsense policy. Sorry. It is particularly wild. Because who knows the street other people live on? I, I just, I, we've been trying to figure out if anybody else in the media does this, but apparently- it so fake. <laughs> it's just what they do. So they printed the the real name or the legal name of Jane Way and the street that this that the name. And I'm not going to repeat the name because you know why? Because printing the real names and street addresses of sex workers is bad. It's bad. It's very bad. Don't do that. Now maybe maybe the Peterborough, Peterborough Examiner could have just thrown up their hands and said, "Hey." This is our policy. It goes the same for everybody. Jane Way should not have given us the name Jane Way, and this connection would, would never be made, except they went one step further. I mean, that would be kind of bad enough, but maybe that was defensible. They went one step further. Not only did they say, 
Janeway is actually this other person who lives on this street. Mm -hmm. But they went on to say, and Janeway is a sex worker and a performer in pornographic films and a public advocate for various issues. If you were inclined to want to be abusive or to do anything to this person and you had never heard of them before, you could get a lot of the information you needed. Apparently people did that. People went to their place and yelled at them. Like yes. That was a thing. So They set them up for it. I, I, I just like feel like this is such a avoidable abuse by a newspaper. Like, yeah, like, it's I, just a I, shitty policy. I, there's no reason why this had to happen. Maybe this is just something to duly note, but like it's so bonkers, the whole thing. It's bonkers. The, their policy that I wanted to kind of get into. Like really there should be two sides of this for us to make a whole like segment out of this, but I don't know. That, like, I don't know. I read the editor's defense of their behavior and it just, uh, it, it's not anything more than what I just explained mm. to you right now. Yeah. And I, I read even the response from Jane Way and their lawyers that was saying that like we pointed to all these other articles. Yeah. Where similar circumstances may have applied, but they didn't employ that policy. They didn't employ... This policy of, of providing the street where someone lives on and telling you what their career is. So this feels like exceptional treatment. For whatever reason, it's still bad. And yeah, I don't know if we, I don't know if this is a duly noted or just like a like a just don't do that. Just don't do <laughs> dumb shit like that and put people at risk. Don't put like okay. The maximalist public argument for this, the journalistic freedom argument would be that like their address is part of whatever the court docket or whatever, whatever the cops release when the cops say we've arrested this person, the cops will identify the address and that's a public document. So that the, I guess a, a newspaper could say, Hey, uh, it's not our job to suppress public information. It's our job to report public information, but th I can't even do it in a devil's advocate way. Cause like it, it basically suggests that we should be publishing the home addresses of people accused of crimes and subjecting them to all kinds of possible violence. There are, and police, abuse. There are police reports for all kinds of things. I think it's bad journalism to take all the information in them and copy and paste it into an article. Like, it's just, if we're going to really take that argument to its full extent, then it's just like, then we're just saying, like, we got to give over every inf every piece of information that's possible. Like, it's just, it's just a dumb way to behave. Yeah, it's destructive. And it also gives a really powerful incentive for people to not talk to reporters, you know? Yeah. Okay. And not talk to cops. Don't talk to cops, kids. Alex Verman, thank you very much. Thank you very much. That is your Canada Land Shortcuts for this week. You can email me about it. I'm at jesse at canadalandshow.com, and I read everything you send me. And we are on Twitter at Canada Land. Alex, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me at my website, alexverman.com, or on Twitter or Instagram. Uh, my at is misgenders, M-I-S-G-E-N-D-E-R-S. -E -E like us on Facebook, and you will get our news stories in your Facebook news feed. You can also go to our website at canadalandshow.com. Our crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. This episode was produced by Kevin Sexton. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you like what we do, please support us on Patreon. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to 
And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you.